Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Axel Wright, and with me as always is... Lord Commander Auric. Alright, today we're just doing, uh, you know, some little short video discussion, or audio discussion, about uh, Ready Player One. Something that we, you know, it's been out for a while, so this isn't news to anyone, but this is more like a follow-up to, we did an episode early on about book-to-movie adaptations, and how they work, how they don't work. I saw Ready Player One when it was in theaters, like, uh, brand spanking new, and Ulrich only just saw it recently, so... We decided to have a little conversation about it. Now, since it's been several months since I've seen it, why don't you start us off, my friend? Well, I think we got to get, you know, first thing right out of the way, our thoughts on the book. It's not a good book. No, it's a fun one, but it's not a good one. Yeah, it's uh, Twilight for Nerds. Yeah, uh, that, well, Twilight for Boys, I've heard, but same same diff, basically, at this point. So. Yeah, and uh, the author's kind of creepy, but other than that, it's not a good book. It's a fun read, but it's it's got some problems that I'm not really going to go into, but I just felt well, we need to address that. I will say that most of the problems, not all, because it's got a lot of structural problems, but the, the biggest problem that the book has, as far as I'm concerned, is a huge prevalence of gatekeeping. Like everything, Oh, God, yes. Yeah, like everything about the the structure of the plot and how the characters behave is based in this like very gatekeeping mentality that just pisses me off. So well, it's reward for gatekeeping, and that's and for those of you who don't know, gatekeeping is this pervasive thing in geek culture where if you don't know every detail about the preferred you know topic, genre, what have you, you're not worthy of you know being part of that fandom. Yeah, which is bullshit because, like, I'm I'm an adult and I have many, many varied interests. I don't have the time to obsess over one thing. Even my absolute, like, favorite show on television right now, I'm not going to know, like, all the trivia about and I don't expect anyone else to, to just enjoy well, a conversation with me about it. If you do, that's cool. Good for you. If you don't, hey, that's also okay. It should be about, you know, we both enjoy this thing, and there's varying degrees of enjoyment. So, yeah, that part of the book, really, I didn't like that. And, of course, we've talked about it. The 80s worship didn't really work for me because I am not a big 80s nerd. I mean, Admittedly, that worked for me, but I love a lot of the 80s in general. I'm not a big 80s guy, but that kind of, you know, I think that tells you if you're going to like the book or not. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, think it's... one of the best reactions was watching Lindsay Ellis talk about it as she was reading it. That was some of those are some of the best tweets. <laughs> yeah, her deconstruction of Ready Player One. Yeah, well, like I said, it's it's not a, a good book. It's a fun one though. Um, it's it's very it's like Coca Cola for the brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the movie, go ahead. Well, well, I think that you know, kind of predicated, is just okay. And uh, Movie Bob said it best. They made a damn good movie out of a bad book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the hell out of the movie when I saw it, but uh, admittedly, the, there were a couple of reasons that... I mean, so, a spoiler real quick. This is not a huge spoiler, but at the end, there is a two- to three-minute fight scene between Mecha Godzilla and the original Mobile Suit Gundam. That wasn't that, Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> that kind of shit overrides my logic circuits. Just oh yeah, that final. We'll, we'll go into spoilers. I think it's you know it's out now. You can watch it if you're watching this. You probably already watched it. We're probably gonna get into spoilers, but no, that wasn't Mechagodzilla at the end. 
It looked sort of like Mechagodzilla, but that was not Mechagodzilla. Uh, see, as a proper, I hate that word, but as a long-term kaiju fan, the fact that Godzilla has gone through, th- or Mechagodzilla has gone through literally three different versions that all look extremely different from each other, and the one shown in the movie is very similar to Mechagodzilla 3, so yeah, just saying. I prefer Mechagodzilla 1, but I will give them credit. They played the original Godzilla theme song, and my fanboy brain took over. But the point of all bringing this up is that the movie is very good at like overriding logic circuits with just cool stuff. It is filled with a lot yeah, of cool fun stuff. nostalgia bits. Yeah, but what's more important is that, um, for for me anyway, as a movie, is that all that gatekeeping stuff, like the way it existed in the book, was that all the challenges that Wally and the characters have to go through in order to get the key are all based in like your level of obsessive knowledge. For instance, to give an example, in the book, the first challenge that it, uh, involves playing out a scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or maybe it was War Games. It was one of those two movies. It I was can't remember. War Games, and that was the second challenge. Um, well, no, the because... first challenge was against the Lich to play Joust. No, that's what got the key. I was saying that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Key. The keys and the challenges were different. You have to do a challenge to get the key, which was a game of joust against the lich, and then you put the key into the the keyhole. It opens the gate, and then you do another challenge. In this case, it was, I believe, you're right, war games. Anyway, point is, you had to take the role of uh, Matthew Broderick in war games and play out the exact sequence, like with the exact words, the exact inflections. And so it was literally saying, like, if you don't have this movie perfectly memorized, then you don't get to get past here. That's the kind of gatekeeping stuff I'm talking about. It was neat reading it, but when you think what the implications of that, it's uncomfortable. The movie handles that by switching up all of the the challenges to not be based on really anything pop culture related. They're They're grounded in pop culture, as in, like, the second challenge being all based in The Shining's hotel. Which gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, but... The purpose of them is about uh, James Halliday, the the guy who created the challenges, trying to teach the players like important life lessons based on what his mistakes and or philosophies Which about life were. A better message exactly. than that first than the book had. And that's where I gotta give him credit. They took the parts of the book that worked and tweaked things. Though the one thing was is there are a few things I kinda wish they'd kept from the book, and it's mainly pacing wise. It felt very rushed overall. I don't know how long the movie was, but it felt like it was rushed. Well, I do know that, so in the book, there's a huge span of time where, like, it's between uh, the first and the second gates that nothing about the hunt actually happens. It's just a lot of, like, window dressing, but to give us a better understanding of Wally as a person and, and what's going on in the world after the first key and gate happen. And so it makes it feel like the book's happening over this long period of time, and it's kind of there in the movie. But... Well, it feels like the prime problem with the movie was is he gets through the first gate, then all his friends get through the first gate, and then they're immediately on to the second gate. It wasn't like this was really a challenge. It felt like once you figure out the trick to the first one, it's all easy after that. Yeah, that's the what I'm talking about. It took a long time to figure out the second gate in the or the second key in the the book too, and that doesn't bother me. So, um but I want to talk about that shining, you know, level because everyone that reviewed it, whether they liked it or not, had good things to say about the shining. And I'm not one. I think it was a combination of they laid, you know, them over the original footage as well as recreating some. Yeah. 
It was pretty cool. Because it blended perfectly. And just a little bit of backstory. I watched The Shining when I was way, way too young. And, mm. it, you know, I have not watched that as an adult. But just rewatching a couple of those scenes just immediately gave me all sorts of goosebumps. <laughs> See, I, that was a really cool scene. Yeah, it was really cool. I'll totally admit that. Um, one thing I want to say about the movie in general, and this is a nitpick more than anything. I wouldn't say this is a reason to hate the movie or anything. But it, I mentioned this when we talked about book-to-movie adaptations, the, um, the idea of doing Hollywood ugly or Hollywood, you know, like someone that's supposed to not be attractive but is still very obviously attractive which is already the case with the main character, but I can get over that. It's fine. I, I actually ended up getting a lot more pissed off that um, Artemis, right, the whole oh. the whole conceits of her character is she uh, is super ashamed because in the book, like, a good half of her face is all birthmarked and, you know, kind of gross-looking. It wasn't even kind of gross-looking. It was She had a birthmark on her face. Yeah, but the way I always maybe I have to go back and read the book again, maybe to see if it was described differently. But I always well, interpreted. That I just it was know like because Lindsay of... Ellis made a big deal about that. It's like, wait, her whole "I can't be with you, I'm ugly" is she has a birthmark on her face, not a scar, not a disfigurement, a birthmark. Yeah, well, you can say that that's like you know dumb or whatever, but I'm just saying that like with teenage girls and especially growing up with that kind of thing, and there's a lot of self confidence issue. But the point is that in the book, at least, I could imagine it was like half of her entire face, and that's why I was like, okay, I can kind of. But in the in the movie, it's like a little bit around her eye, <laughs> and that's yeah. it. And I was like, that's just you take away well, anything from that. <laughs> see, it's funny because you know Slagathor and I we watched it together. And she picked out that uh, H was a black girl almost immediately. She's like, he talks like a black girl. Is that what that is? I'm like, I'm not going to reveal that. And she's like, okay, fine. But I'm pretty sure it's a black woman behind it. They're just, you know, the mannerisms and the setup. She they thought it was going to be a love triangle. There should have just been someone different to voice H in the movie, like when yes. H was in the, the game, because it was too op. Like in the book, it was a good reveal, good quote-unquote. It was a effective reveal. And that was one of like the best parts of the book. Well, wait, why do you play as, you know, a man? My mom always said playing as a black woman's not going to get me any favors. Well, plus in the, in the book, it made for a great scene when, like, uh, Wally goes into H's... RV thing the first time sees realizes and they have this like half second of is everything okay and then he just says like the thing that he needs to say to assure that like yeah you're my best friend it doesn't matter what you look like and it, it was you know one of those moments where the message was like their friendship goes beyond stuff like expectations of you know who they are in reality and stuff like that um and the the movie kind of glossed over that a bit not a big it glossed deal, over but... a lot of things I didn't like but circling back to my original point you know but I told Slagathar I was like all right. Now, there's going to be a physical deformity or something's wrong with Artemis that she's super embarrassed about. Can you guess what it is? And she's like, um, she's in a wheelchair. No, because that was my first thought during the book. Um, she's missing an eye. Nope. And she lists off all these legitimate deformities that someone would be really, you know, embarrassed about. And then we get to the scene where she's revealed, and she's like, wait, what's wrong with her? I don't see. Like, the birthmark. <laughs> what birthmark? Wait, that? That's what she's embarrassed about? Fuck yeah. off. No, it, it, that, I agree. That's what I'm saying. Like, in the movie, it was so small. I was like... I, Why you, keep it in the movie? You cut a lot of other stuff from the book. What purpose did keeping that serve? It looked almost like just a shadow around her eye. So She looked like... you. Remember, how old do you remember Gargoyles? Not that well. Well, I don't know if you remember. There's a character, Fox, and she had a fox birthmark over one eye. 
and that's what she looks like. Mm. Yeah, anyway, like I said, that was really more of a nitpick than anything for me, because... You know, this rest... movie for me is nitpicks. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, uh, as a side note, this is the opposite of nitpick. This is just a little thing I love. The fact that the villain, um, the corporate guy, his in-game avatar is basically Superman, I was like, that's brilliant that he chose an avatar that looks so much like Superman, because he's the villain, right? But he sees himself as the good guy. I thought he was so heavy-handed. Just the whole, what they were trying to get across. There was zero subtlety to him. And oh, well, this movie has no subtlety, but that's, I don't think it, I don't think it ever set out to be subtle. So Either you could rule it back, but he was kind of like a hand-wringing cartoon villain. And, you know, a lot of this is over the, the top and whatnot, but... Cartoon, so... <laughs> He just felt, book, they were subtle to a degree. And the book isn't subtle either. But his whole thing was, you know, everyone uses this, why don't we deserve to make a little money off it, you know, selling you the access, a.k.a., you know, net neutrality and that whole fun thing. And this one's like, and we're going to crowd, you know, we're going to do that, and we're going to sell ads, and we're going to do microtransactions. It's like, okay, okay, we get it, we get it. You know, just just roll it back a bit. Well, I think they, you know, as far as the movie goes, I think they were trying to attach it to things like more modern concerns, as you pointed out, things like microtransactions and ad space, which weren't really uh, like a staple of the book anyway. Yeah. I don't know, that ending, it's a pretty good ending. Um the bad guys for me, because the other one voiced by T.J. Miller felt weirdly out of place and almost I, I loved that character, who was a complete fabrication of the movie, because he's supposed to be essentially the, like the ultimate, like, just in it for the like winning kind of gamer who's been playing for a long time and collected all the you know the shit and he'll just do whatever anyone hires. He's he's a gamer bounty hunter. I thought that was an interesting idea. I thought yeah. the fact that. The fact that his avatar was so obviously like super edgy and ridiculous looking, but with TJ Miller's voice was just funny. I, I was annoyed the whole time. It's like, you got a great concept, but I just want him to go away. He's annoying. <laughs> well, that could be different opinions on TJ Miller, who... Um, yeah, I think it's how far, how much mileage you get off TJ Miller's comedy. Yeah, and I love Silicon Valley, so I'm I'm pretty used to it, so... Ah, no, that ran thin real quick. Um, was there anything from the book you wish they'd kept in? Let's see. Uh, yeah, there were a couple things. Like I said, there's there's this subplot in the book where, um, and this comes back to the actor they cast. One of my favorite things that happens in the book is that Wally, at the beginning, is this overweight, uh, you know, not very healthy kid, and then after he gets the first key and the first gate. And then they, you know, kill his family. Uh, he uses his fame. He leverages his fame to get like sponsorship deals and whatnot, so that he can just make his own money. Like he's basically a celebrity at that point, or not basically. He is the world's most well-known celebrity at that point because he, you know, got the first key. And so then he's got his own apartment and stuff, and he has this whole chapter that is one of my favorite chapters about how he decided to make himself get into shape. And he did this program that like locks himself out of uh, the Oasis until he does an hour workout. Now, I know that sounds like not very important, and I'm not saying it would necessarily work in a movie, but the idea of this character starting off as uh, this, this one thing, and then we see him work to become a more, not just healthy person, but a more like 
rounded and grounded. Like we see him at his lowest point at what uh, in the in the book, which could, this could never been adapted to the movie. But at one point, he uh, he gets it on with um like a sex doll and an oasis. Oh, yeah, that, that whole part, I'm glad they cut. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that should work in a movie, but I'm saying that the whole sequence of him just living in the apartment and figuring, get, going to his lowest point, rebuilding himself, like that kind of story for him worked pretty well for me. Whereas in the movie, he's just kind of the same person. He has no real arc in the movie, which is not a big deal. There's plenty of movies that, like, it's a it's a, a common misconception that movies require character arcs. They don't really. I uh, Ghostbusters is a great example of a great movie with no character arcs in it. But I liked his arc in the book, and I thought that having some semblance of it in the movie would would have been nice. Yeah, the only real thing I wish they had kept was the taking down of the corporation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in the, in the whole book, movie... he goes undercover. <laughs> so. Yeah. He goes undercover, he gets the files, he releases the files, he does his whole big thing to expose, listen, they blew up my aunt, they killed one of the other, you know, people, staged it as a suicide, which, yeah, I don't know if they should have kept that in the movie or not, since they made that kid 11 years old. Yeah, yeah. But they painted the corporation as, no, these guys are legitimately evil. And the movie ends with a big dramatic car chase, and then him trying to shoot our main character in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, that was goofy. The whole ends like ah, oh, and you're I, back to being a cartoon. Yeah, I was fine with him being a cartoon villain though because it's not really what I was there to see. I get what you mean though. Um, I like I like Simon Pegg as Oz a lot. It's not at they all. Forgot, what I think. It's almost like they forgot they hired him to be in the movie. Yeah, I I did not at all think of Oz in the book as looking like Simon Pegg, but no, uh, that was uh. Well, he's supposed to be a you know reference to Steve Wozniak, I think. Yeah, he's the Steve Wozniak to James Halliday's uh, jobs. So. Well, they call him the Great and Powerful Og, and it's like, okay, well. Oh, Og, not Oz. Yeah. Oh, okay. If we're talking about a single scene that I wish they would have kept, that they could have easily kept here, I think, um, is in the book that the dance hall, the gravitational dance hall, is actually run by Og and his avatar. Yeah. Now, I know that in the movie, his avatar is also the librarian, but they could have easily had him have multiple avatars. It's not a, he's freaking Og. So, mm-hmm. anyway, in the, in the book, he owns that club. So, he's, like, DJing and stuff, and then the Sixers come in to attack uh, the Gunters, and there's this battle happening, and it looks like it's, they're going to lose. Like, Wally's like, oh, my... My health's going to zero. And then Og something's like, you dare come into my club? And he just, like, clicks a few things because he's basically the, you know, god in Oasis, uh, almost. Like, he's a god, anyway. And then suddenly, like, out of his fingertips just come, like, all these lines of light, I think they were red light, and just pierce and destroy all the Sixers, like, instantly. And, like, I would have loved to see that scene in a a movie. No, and then the other kind of thing the movie suffers from, which the book was also bad, but when he, you know, decides that he's in love with Artemis, at least in the book, there was kind of build up to it. In this one, it was just all of a sudden he decided he was in love with her, so it felt a bit even more cringy than it did in the book, and it was plenty cringy in the book. See, that's a tough one because I get it, and that's definitely a pacing thing. But the point in both the book and the movie is supposed to be that he is a fool who doesn't know or understand her, and he is uh, falling for essentially an image that he doesn't. You know, like like a child. So the fact that it happens even faster in the movie, I think, actually feeds into that better. 
So. Yeah, but just like in the book, it's he never really it never really evolves past that. Admitted, true. That is absolutely true. So the follow up is bad. <laughs> yeah. No, this movie to me is a solid C. It's fun. It's flashy. It's cool. Um, but much like the book, it's overhyped. I give it a B minus personally. I up it to a B because it feels like a B movie. And when you've got Steven Spielberg at the helm, there's like there's only so bad of a movie you can really get, right? Oh well, yeah. So- no, I, he was working with really bad, you know, source material with a lot of baggage. And the fact that it turned out as good as it did is a testament to his work. Yeah. So like, if anyone told me that they, you know, hated this movie, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, it's nope. It's a it's a superficial movie, is what it yep. is. Like the best parts of it are just the references, ridiculous like imagery. Like I saw Battle Toads on the screen for half a second, and that was enough for me to be like, ah, ah. So, and and the story itself is fine. It's very conventional. It's got holes, but nothing that's like damning. It's just a flawed story, but it's fine. Yeah, it's as like I said for me, it's a B minus movie. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing else to say about it. For the record, not going to talk about it right now. I just saw Rampage uh, last night. I saw week. that last night, too. Yeah, I saw it last week. Maybe we could do a video on that. But for me, that's a solid B-plus movie. So it's like a yeah, comparison. Yeah, that, that, that was. I agree. I liked Rampage, but I liked Ready Player One. But for totally different reasons. Yeah, maybe we can talk about that later. Anyway, so this has our, been our little buckler about Ready Player One. If for some reason anyone out there hasn't seen it who's listening to this uh i personally say it's worth spending you know a couple dollars on i i don't think it was yeah. worth spending like the full you know ten dollars at movie theater on but if you saw it like for five bucks on you know dvd case or something like that then i, I think it's worth it because it's you know steven spielberg it's a big it's the most like indicative of the current movie scene kind of movie so Ooh. yeah uh. I don't know if I agree with it. it's indicative. Well, here's though, here's but... what I mean. Here's what I mean by that: the fact that it's basically pop culture, the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Now we picked it up for two dollars at a red box. It was fun. Yeah, and that's about yeah. what I, I would suggest. Anyway, so do you have any closing statements, Orc? No, not really. Except okay. uh, rehire James Gunn. Oh, all right. We can talk about that later too. Anyway, so thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. We are on Twitter, Patreon, we'll have links in the thing above below. And as always, this has been Axel Wright. And Lord Commander Orc. All right, be sure to tune in next time and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>